Let me just ask the Lord for strength to do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for this opportunity, a marvelous opportunity, Lord, a privilege to preach your word. Help me now, Lord, to be clear. Help me with vocabulary, Father, my mind, the words, with calmness of spirit, Lord, to speak your word. The message to us through the letter of Colossians. This morning, as we're looking at thanksgiving and prayer, I pray, Lord, that you will speak to your hearts. Convict our souls, if need be, Lord. Encourage us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are looking at Colossians, this letter that Paul wrote while sitting in the prison. And he writes this letter to Colossae. Epaphras, who's the pastor, most probably of this church in Colossae, came to him and he said to him, Paul, we've got a problem. First of all, he told him about this church. And we're going to see today how Paul gives thanks and prayer to God for this church. But he's also telling him that there's another problem entering the church, and that is Gnosticism. And we're going to start addressing that coming in the next few weeks. Last week we saw the introduction, his greeting, and how he claimed, Paul claimed to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God. And that's important. This morning I want us to look further. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 to 14 this morning and, and learn from the scripture. Let me tell you something this morning. You can take one scripture out of the Bible and the Lord will teach your heart. All you need to be is open at heart to listen when He speaks to you. We come here every single Sunday morning to do what? To learn of the knowledge of Him. To ask Him to give us a spirit of wisdom. We come here every Sunday to grow in faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the preaching of the Word. So this is what we're going to do this morning. Now, we start with this verse in chapter three, uh, chapter uh, 1 verse 3. He says, we give thanks. This is Paul, when he heard this account from Epaphras about the church in Colossae, he writes this down. He says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Thanksgiving and praying. These two things is critical in a Christian's life. Critical. This for me, three essentials that you need to have. First of all, you need to study the Word of God, but be a person of a thankful heart. And do this world need people with thankful hearts? Thanksgiving comes up first. He says, give thanks to the Lord, God, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, praying always for you. Now notice that he says, praying for you. A lot of people these days, their prayers is only for themselves, isn't it? But it needs to be for other people. You see, a thankful heart is what he had at mind here. Right through this letter, he repeats this, thanksgiving. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, for instance. He says, giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father who has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 2 verse 7, rooted and built up in Him, He's the foundation, and established in faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Isn't it wonderful? With thanksgiving. Colossians chapter 3 15, I love this one, He says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. How does the peace of God rule in your heart? How? You need to visit the peacemaker. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to give you his peace. He said it to them. He said it to them in John chapter 14. He said to them, peace I leave unto you. Not peace that this world can give you. Is there peace in the world? Are we living in a peaceful peaceful city, don't we? No, we're not. It's not a peaceful city. There's no peace like the peacemaker can give you. Who's the peacemaker? Jesus Christ. 
And he says it there, he says, let the peace of God rule. You see the word there, rule? Let it rule in your hearts. To which you also are called in one body and be what? Thankful. Be thankful. A child of God should be thankful every single day. When you wake up in the morning, the first words that will come out of your mouth should be, Thank you, my heavenly Father. Thank you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thankfulness is at the heart of a Christian's life. He says, to which you are called in one body and be thankful. Colossians 3.17 And everything, whatever you do in word or deed, look at this, whatever you do in word, that means whatever you say, or the actions that you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's good advice, isn't it? Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wherever you work, at your workplace, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good referee, isn't it? You know what a referee is? It's the person on a, on a sport field who institute and hold the rule of law. Let Jesus Christ rule your heart. In every word you say, let it be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That will stop you from saying foul and bad things, wouldn't it? This is practical. Before you do something, before you drive and you show out of anger your fist to the guy next door, before you do that, he says it there, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're not going to go there and go, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to do that. It ain't working like that. You see, Paul has got it here. The heart of a child of God. He says it right there in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, that's good advice. Don't do it these days pointing finger at other people. You don't know who's driving in that car. Okay? He says, giving thanks to God and the Father by giving what? Giving thanks. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Continue in what? In prayer. Continue in prayer and watch in it with what? With thanksgiving. My dear friend, my dear brother and sister, the world needs people with thankful hearts. The world needs people who pray. My dear beloved brother and sister, the church needs Christians with thankful hearts. The church needs Christians, listen to me, who pray. This is a very important message. You see, when you read through the letter, I know some of you wants to get to the doctrine. Some of you wants to know about the Gnosticism that's going on and how Paul addresses that. But before he even gets there, he talks about what? Thanksgiving and prayer. Do you think it's important? I would say so. So let me ask the question this morning. What is the opposite of thanksgiving? What is the opposite? Complaining. Isn't it right? Complaining. If you are not thankful, what are you otherwise? You are complaining. And the Bible calls it also another word. Murmuring. I love that word. It sounds to me if a few people come together, it makes a sound. It makes a noise, Andre. It goes murmuring. <laughs> it's not a nice sound. It's not a sound like hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's not a sound like amen. It is murmuring. It is complaining. It is not being thankful. And the Bible is very clear about the opposite. Listen to me this morning of being thankful. You see, Paul writes so many times to us, he says the things of old were given there for what? For our learning. So we need to look back at Israel, that nation, that people that God chosen to do what? To show us as Gentiles how a fallen people approach a holy God. 
That's the purpose of Israel. Now we see this people that God chose. He gets them out of Egypt, out of their murmuring problems, and He takes them to a promised land. But would you know the nature of mankind, of fallen mankind, is what? Murmuring. Take a baby, for instance, when they are born. Have you ever been at a birth of a baby and they come out of the womb and they go, Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Have you? What's the first thing you hear? Murmuring! Murmuring! What is the cry of a baby? I need attention. Yeah? It's good. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying a baby shouldn't cry. I'm the first thing a doctor do when they get the baby out and there's no sound. What do they do? They turn them over. Oh, I know it's PC incorrect to do it, but they do it. They give them a slap on the bam. And what happened? The next moment they go, Bah! So the crying is good. I'm not saying it's not good, but listen to this. As that child grows older, they know how to manipulate you through that crying. Now, all look at me skeptical. I've raised three. I know what I'm talking about. I'm talking out of experience here. Thankfulness versus complaining. But the Bible is very clear about complaining, and this might shock you. This might shock you. Look at this now. In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. Remember, these people were taken out of Egypt, captivity. And here the word says, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. What is the other word for complaining we said? Murmuring. I can hear it there. Murmuring against the Lord. It makes that noise. They were in the hearing of the Lord about what? Their misfortunes. Oh Lord. And I hear this so often these days as well. Christians complaining. Man, they wake up, they open up their eyes complaining right through the day, complaining about the weather, complaining about what's going on with the government, complaining what's going on with the city, complaining on what's going on with their children, with their wives, with their husbands, complaining about the car, complaining about the dog. You see what the dog did over there, and they keep on complaining and complaining right through the day. Where is the thanksgiving? You see, this is a different kind of complaint these people did about their misfortunes. And see what happens here. And when the Lord heard it, what did He do? Oh, my poor child, I'm going to come to you and cuddle you? No. No. See here. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. You see, what did the Lord do? Oh, my baby, don't throw a tantrum. Come on, come on. Come on, please. No, no, no. He burnt his fire against him. Fire against him. We need to learn by this. We shouldn't be a people of complainers. You say, but I've got struggle in my life, preacher. What do I do with that? Yes, you take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what you do. You talk to the Father about it. You know what He's going to do? He's going to instruct you through the Word of God. We sang it this morning. He is the mighty counselor. He's going to correct something in your life. You might not like what He's going to correct, but once it's corrected, believe you me, you will not complain, but you will praise God all the way. But He's not a God for complainers right there. Psalm. It's not the only one. In Psalm, the Psalm is writing that Psalm 106 verse 25. They, there is our word. You see? They what? Come on, you say it all. I can't hear it. I can't hear that murmuring. Come on, you say it. They what? They murmured in their tents, in their homes. Now, I went camping and I tell you what, a tent is not as thick as a wall. <laughs> We were camping once in New Zealand and, and, and you know, they, there was a few tents away. There were some people talking out loud as if nobody could hear them. They were gossiping about other people and then I think the whole place is hearing you. 
Okay, granted, these tents were not our tents. They were made out of skin and so on. But here is the fact, friends. They were murmuring in their tents and did not do what? Obey the voice of God. Let me teach you something here this morning. If you keep on murmuring, you will not hear the voice of God. And if you do not hear the voice of God, what will you do? You will not be able to obey His word. Wow. That's a little bit hot this morning. I thought we were going to talk about Colossians. And now you speak right into my life. That's what the, the Lord does, isn't it? You see what happens? They in their tents did not obey the voice of God. Therefore, what does therefore means? It means this is now an application, okay? Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness. This is God. Remember there we saw what he did. He kindled his fire on the outskirts and they had to run to Moses. Oh Moses, Moses, please tell God to stop the fire. We'll stop murmuring. Did they? No, they didn't. They kept on murmuring. By the way, the place where you stop your murmurings for once and for all is where? At the cross of Christ. You see, something happens at the cross. You need to become humble. That's what happens there. And here, he says they will fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Friends, this is a serious word out of the word of God. Let me tell you this. I knew a man once who came to me, a man, and he complained about his family. True story. Whenever we came together and he came and we sat down, he complained about his wife, he complained about his children, kept on complaining, complaining, complaining. And you know what his wife did? Whenever we came together with his wife, he complained about her husband and killing about her children. I'm telling you today out of a fact, dear friends, I was, this scripture verse at that point in time came up to him and I shared this with him. He got a shock. He came to me and I said, before you stood, open up your mouth and spill out all of those things and complainings and murmuring about your family. Listen to this today. If you keep on doing this, the word of God says he can take it away. Now tell me one thing, and I was really straight into it. I said, do you want to lose your family? He goes, no, no, I don't want to. Who wants to lose his family? Nobody wants to. It was a hard word, but I gave it to him. And it went good for a while. And what happened? It started creeping back. It started coming back. You see, but now the Word of God is not fresh as it was when I broke it to Him. This is what sin does, isn't it? The first time you do it, it feels really bad doing it, but the more you keep on doing it, what, it becomes easier. Now He's back into that, and I'm telling you, standing here today, I know this family. They are scattered. They're not together anymore. Their children are scattered. I know what I'm talking today about. You see, Complaining is not God. Don't like complainers. Yes, I say again, if you've got a problem, take it to the Lord in prayer. But don't complain. Don't murmur about your misfortunes. You know, if you've got a misfortune, what do you do? You go to the Lord and you say, Father, this is a misfortune in my life. What do you want to teach me? Now listen to that verses. Lord, why do you allow this happening to me? Who is the emphasis of the second one? You. Who is the emphasis of the first prayer? Him. You need to focus on Him. You see, this is what He does. Thanksgiving and prayer again, my friends, is critical in a Christian's life. And listen, it's not only for yourself, it's for others. Start praying for others. Look at Paul now. Let's read from verse 3. He says, we give thanks to the Lord God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Look at this. He says, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really interesting when you read that. Did you notice that as well when you read it in preparation for today? Well, he's not out of touch because that's how Jesus spoke when Mary Magdalene came to the grave and she was seeking him, isn't it? When Mary came there, he said, she said to him, Rabuni, I, I, I look for where they've taken my Jesus. They took him away. And she thought she was talking to the gardener there. And he turned to her. And then what did he say in John 20, verse 6, 17? He says, Jesus said to her, Do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. 
but go to my brothers and say to them, I ascend to my father and your father. That's interesting, isn't it? And my God and your God. Why would he say it like that? Because you see, he has a father, but to us, that father relationship is different than his. It's different than his. Paul knows all about this because he spent time with Jesus. That's why he says in verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Verse 5, Because of the hope which is laid up in heaven for you, of which you have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. You see, the gospel is the word of truth. Verse 6, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I love that. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of His love, in whom we have redeemed Him through His blood, the forgiveness of sin. God bless the public reading of His word. How wonderful is it, His, his opening statement to that church thanksgiving and prayer. This for me is a great text. This one. He has delivered us from what? The power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son, of His love. Isn't that wonderful? The word that He has delivered us means it is a rescue by a sovereign power. Do you know this morning that you were rescued by a sovereign power? That's our God Almighty. And then when He says from the power of darkness, it means from Satan's domain. You see, we are still tempted by Satan, but we are not under his power. When I prepared this, it, it brought up into my mind this image of a, of a swimmer in the sea who's been ripped into the sea by a rip. And it takes him away. Who knows that water has got power? And the stream rips him into the sea, and he swims against the, the stream. And what happens? As he's swimming, his arms get a little bit more tame and he's feeling the hurt in his body and he's getting weaker. He goes down a few times, he takes on water, salt water into his body and then he starts panicking and then he starts waving and the more he kicks, what happens with his body? His power diminishes whilst the power around him. And listen, let me just say friends, this is by four just just a way of making us understand. This is not even coming close to the power that saved you. And now this person is nearly drowning and then the next moment somebody on a jet ski comes past. And what happens? They put out a hand to this man. They grab a hold of him. You see, at that point in time, his power is nothing against the power around him pulling him down. But that other power now is the power that pulls him up. Gives him strength. That power is easier to go against the grain and the grain of the sea and saves this poor soul, this poor man. Friends, God is not a God of a jet ski. But He is the power that saved that out of, out of this domain of Satan. He says, conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son. You know what that word conveyed means there? It means we become the property of the new king. In Paul's day when he wrote this, and by the way, when we read the Bible, we see it through a Western glasses. 
where we live in. But in his day, when he wrote it to them, he uses that word there. They would have understood it's like a king who defeats another king. What happens to those people of that kingdom? They become the property of that previous king. This is how wonderful. Can you see how wonderful is this scripture here? I love this text. He lifts you up out of the miry clay and put your feet on the rock this day. Now, there's two things I quickly want to talk to you about, thanksgiving and prayer. First of all, we look at the three graces of a Christian's life. You find it in this verse 4. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, that's the first grace, and of our love for the saints, and then for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. That's the first three graces. And Paul writes right through his letters about these three. For instance, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Three things. Three graces which is evident in your life. Is they? Are they? The grace of faith, the grace of love, and the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. He says, first of all, he thanked the Lord for the faith in Christ Jesus. And we know that this is by grace, isn't it? This is God's faith that He gives us. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. And you know what? He thanks God for that faith that you have. The Holy Spirit drawn these people to Christ, like He did you. And you know what they did? These people in Colossae responded to that. The Holy Spirit pulled them towards that. The preaching of Paul to Epaphras. Epaphras went to that city. Uh, Philip went to that city. They preached the word there. And what happened? The Holy Spirit pulled them. And do you know that people don't respond today? That call is still the same. Still the same, but they, they do not listen. Listen to the song that Thompson writes. He says, Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Do you know that song? Calling for you and for me. See all the portals he's waiting and watching. So beautiful, isn't it? Watching for you and for me. Come home. You who are weary, come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. You know, when I hear that song, it touches my heart. That's the call. Still the call today. In the portals, he's standing there watching and waiting. These people responded. These people in Colossae responded. And you know what Paul does? He is so grateful that he thanks God. These people took on them the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They took it upon them. They, they plunged, they put their whole soul into Him. And He turns to God and He says, Father, I thank You for the faith that I can see in them. He never met them, but He heard of their faith. How wonderful. How marvelous, isn't it, to hear those words. Faith. I want to ask you this morning, where is your faith? In what is your faith? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. And here he thanks him. He says, Father, since we heard of the faith in Christ Jesus, we thank you for that. Thank the God and Father for that. Secondly, he laughs, he thanks the God for the love of all the saints. The love of all the saints. You see, his love is now in them. His love is in them. 
In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is where from? It's from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You know what is the sign of a child of God? Love. Love is the sign of a child of God. It's not me saying it, the word says it there. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What happens when you come to the cross? You say, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. And what does he say? He's going to send his spirit to live inside of you. Whose spirit is living inside of you? God's spirit. Well, it's not his spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is God. And the word says that God is love. So what comes inside of you? Love. He says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, So we have now, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. So what is the opposite of that? If you do not abide in love, does God abide in you? No. You say, but you don't know that person. How can I love that person? And you're right, you cannot love him. You're absolutely right. That is why you need the love of God. Did you know that love is a commandment? It's not an emotion. The world tells you that love is an emotion. Oh, you know, we're going to get this emotion coming of us. No, no. Love is a command from God. Corrie ten Boom, I don't know if you know her, but she was, in the, uh, she was from uh, Poland, and the Germans captured her with a whole family and they took them to concentration camps, her and her sister, and there was this one, he was not an officer, he was just below officers, but the officers, they, they really killed the people, his sister died there, and there was this one man, this one man who was in the same concentration camp, a German, and whenever he got his instructions, he, he ruthlessly put his instructions out and, and do what people, and then when the war was over and Corrie ten Boom survived this, she was at a function one night. And as she walked in there, she recognized this face of this man. He was on the opposite side. Now he was there. And she, she felt in her heart hatred coming up. She said, this man was, he, he was part of responsible of killing my sister, my father, the war. And you know what she says? It's as if the Holy Spirit who laid upon her heart to walk over him and to love this man. And she said, but I can't do it. I can't love this man within me. There's nothing in me that can love him. And that is where it comes in, dear friend, where it is the love of God through you who can love him while you cannot do it. A child of God should have love. And when he heard about the faith and he heard about the love for the saints, he thanked God for that. Because that is the true witness that you are a child of God. It's the love. So next time when you come to a person, you say, but I just can't. You don't know what they said about me. They gossip so badly about me. You preacher, you don't know. You don't know a thing and you're right, I don't. But don't you think God knows? But what is God's instruction to you as a child? of Look, to the world, God, God let them go. Have you noticed? The world hate each other. And you know what the world does? If they want to sort things out, if that person gossip, I gossip more. And if they give me a piece of their mind, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. And it just comes out. But you know what God says? If you're a child of God, things change. What happens? He fills that void within you with the love of God. Now when that person comes and gossip about you, you know what you say? Bless their hearts and pray for them. And love them with the love of God. He says it right there. That's why you need His love, dear friends. But you see, the problem here is we are all born selfish, aren't we? I just gave you the example of a baby, didn't I? Look at this quickly. He says it right here. Well, first of all, faith works through love. So if, you, if you've got faith, the evidence of faith is love. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but... Only faith working through love. So if you showing your love for one another and for the saints, what does it show the people? Your faith. 
But look at this now. We are selfish by nature. Selfish by nature. Luke chapter 3 verse 10. John the Baptist is baptizing at Betabara in the Jordan. These crowds come to him. I'm just parachuting in here and I'm cutting short for the purpose of time. And as he baptized in verse 10, Luke 3.10, the crowds come to him. You see the crowds and they ask him, what then shall we do? What shall we do? And you know what he says to them? He said to them, whoever has two tunics, that means jackets, is to share with him who has one, who has none, and whoever has food, do likewise. You know what the crowds were? They were selfies, weren't they? They were only thinking about themselves. I will have two jackets and three jackets and four, but, you know, the people who's got none, it's all about me. And I will have all the food and I will not share it. It's all about me. Selfishness. And then, in verse 12, the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. What is that showing you? Come on, you've got the selfishness. Why? They collected more than they had to. Why, why did they collect more? To give it away. No, to spend it on themselves. So they were cheating people for their own benefit. They were stealing from people so that they could have more. Selfishness. It's just one route. Look at the next one. The shoulders came to him and said, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, be content with your... Oh, wait a minute. Be content with your wages. <laughs> oh, dear. Now we're touching on a very sore point here. Just this last week, I thought I'm going to see my manager say, you do not appreciate me because you don't pay me more. Oh, dear. I'm in trouble now. I'll have to preach it. <laughs> He says it there, from money or anything. And what is this showing us? This shoulders, the crowds and the tax collectors and you and me were selfish people. We were born that way. That's why we come to the cross. And you know what he fills all of the selfishness with? With his spirit. And you know what his spirit is? It is love. And love, let me give you the definition for love. Love satisfies others at the expense of self. Jesus Christ. God the Father sent His Son to come and die on this earth. Is that an, a love? Yes. Whose benefit was it for? Ours. At whose expense? His. You see, this is the opposite. And he thanked God. He says, that church, there in Colossa, Epaphras came to him and he said to him, you know what, you know what, Paul? These people, they love the saints. And he, he turned, he writes to them, he says, I thank God for the love that you have for one another. You see, Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He says, by this all the people will know that you are my disciples. If you feed one another, if you drink coffee with one another, no, no, he says, if you love one another, if you love. The third grace is the hope. Look at this. He says in verse 5, he gives God thanks because of the hope which is laid up in heaven for them. I'll be quickly through this, dear friends. Hope is a reward for faith. Hope is the reward for faith. Think about those words. Where is this hope? Let me ask you. It is in heaven. This hope is for you and for me is in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again in a living hope. You see that? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. You see this? That is imperishable and default unfading. Where is it? Kept for you in heaven. And who guards this? Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Through what? Through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Nobody can take it from you. That hope of inheritance is with Him. It's guarded by God. And look, you can't be an Esau and sell it for soup. It's guarded by God. How wonderful. Three things He thanks God for. Faith, love, and hope. 
Those three things, so wonderful. Titus chapter 2 verse 1, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, praise the Lord, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godless lives in the present age, waiting for our what? Blessed hope, the appearing of glory of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you know that Jesus' appearance is, is our hope? Because He comes to receive us to Him. And where does He take us? He takes us to heaven. To receive what? To receive our inheritance. Kept by whom? Man, I can get excited about this. Kept by God. And no hallelujah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Woo! This is big. And He thanked God. These people has it. When I read through this and I prayerfully sat there last night, I said, Father, if we give an account to somebody in, an, in, an, in a jail or somewhere about the church there at Cutham Downs, will they write the same letter about us? Will they? Will they write and say, we thank the Lord for the faith that we experience at Cutham Down. We thank the Lord for the love which is amongst you. You see, love is the sign of God in a church. Love is the sign of God in the church. Not for your own little group. It's the sign for all the brothers and sisters. It's about Him. It's about Him. It's not about us. It's not about a selfish group of people coming together. It is about people incorporate everybody. But listen, we incorporate them, then we preach the gospel to them, and then they get saved. We're not one of these churches these days and say, oh, brother, everybody's saved. You know, we're going to have a, uh, what are they calling those churches? You know, these love churches. No, no, we're the love of Christ, church, and let's continue on. He says, there's fruit in the testimony. In verse 6, he says, also, he thanks that they are bringing forth fruit. It is important, dear friends, this fruit here is not apples, pears, and bananas. I think, you know, this is the souls of people who get touched by that ministry. They are seen as fruit. You and I are the fruit of somebody who taught the gospel, and we responded to that. I want to quickly hasten on this morning and how he prayed. Just three things. Paul prayed for the Colossian church. We also always should pray even for this church. He says, for this reason we also, since the day we heard, do not cease to pray for you. Paul could have prayed for himself. He's sitting in jail, friends. Oh Lord, Please let this jail get away from me. Take me out of this jail. Please, Lord, I've been your minister for so long. I preach your word right over the world. Preach, take... No, no. What did he do? He prayed for them. What did he pray for? First of all, he prayed that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you have that? Do you have that knowledge of his will? If you know His will, you will do the right thing. And the wisdom. You see, wisdom is applying the knowledge and spiritual understanding. He says it right there in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, that a spiritual man will understand the spiritual things. A natural man won't. Things that we preach in this church will go outside of these walls and people will say, What? Are you crazy? No, we not. We see it in a spiritual way. You see, there's a lot of things in the Bible, dear friends, which is written in a physical sense, but you need to interpret it in a spiritual way. Now, are you spiritualizing the whole Bible? No, I'm not. I'm absolutely, you know me by now. I've preached it for so long. But there's a lot, of, especially when you come to the book of uh, uh, Revelation, there's a lot of things which you need to understand spiritually. And he prays. He says, pray for them. You see, the knowledge of His will, we must know it in order to do it. And the wisdom know how to apply that knowledge. Secondly, he pray for them so that they may walk worthy of the Lord. And this is an important prayer. I pray this every week for this church and for myself. I say, O oh Lord, that I might walk worthy of You. How do you walk worthy of the Lord? By being fully pleasing Him. You see, that's not selfishness. Pleasing Him. Lord, at work today, as I come into this workplace, how can I please you, Lord? How can I? 
Lord, when I come to church, where I'm going to be amongst all these people, how can I please you, Lord? Lord, when I'm going to do, you know, some fun activity with your family, how can I please you, Lord, today, Lord? Friends, last week I asked you, I said, whenever you wake up in the morning, say thank you to God, didn't I? This week I want to say to you, whenever every single day this week, stand up in the morning and say, Father, how can I please you today? How can I please you today? You'd be surprised. He'll show you. He's going to show you. So, now we've got two things to pray. You see, we're building a prayer here. Last week I said you wake up and say, thank you, Lord. This week I want you to stand up and say, thank you, Lord. And the next thing you add on to that is, Lord, how can I be pleasing for you this week and today? And then the second thing how you walk worthy is you are fruitful in every good work and you increase in the knowledge of God. So if you want to be worthy of the Lord, you pray that, and then you start being fruitful in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God. Where do you increase in the knowledge of God? Let's be practical. You start reading the Bible. That's what I did. That's what thousands of Christians before me did. That's what D.L. Moody did. You name them. All of these men. You grow in the knowledge of God. You know what's going to happen? Once you start growing in the knowledge of God, what will happen? You see it? To be filled with the knowledge of His will, and what did we, we must know it in order to do it. So if you're not going to grow in the knowledge of His will, you can't walk worthy of the Lord. <clears throat> He's got instructions for you every single day. And then, and then He says, finally, He says, I pray for the Lord that He might strengthen you with all might. Who knows that we need that? Who knows that we need the might of God every day in our lives? Friend, I don't want to wake up in the morning without the Holy Spirit. I don't want to go into the bathroom without the Holy Spirit. I mean, just imagine walking in the bathroom, see me the first time and go, Whoa, who's this person? No, I'm just joking. But friends, we cannot. We cannot go without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the power that we operate on. I don't want to get out of my house and get in the car without the Holy Spirit. Go to work without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit is, is like a fish outside of the water. Have you seen a fish outside of the water? There's a lot of movement, but there's nothing happening. <gasps> there's nothing going on. But put him back in the water and he, and he goes quickly away from you. Friend, you without the Holy Spirit is like that fish. You've got a lot of actions, but there's nothing. But coming to the Holy Spirit, and He gives you power to do what? To walk in His might and in His counsel. This, this is a practical letter, you know, even just in, in these first things. According to His power for all patience. Oh dear. Here we go again. Look at that word. Is that looking familiar? You need to be strengthened to be patient. Who knows that? I mean, Oscar is telling me he's looking after two little children and he puts on blippy and that keeps him busy. But still, still looking after little children, you need the patience of God. Amen? Well, let me tell you, I've got big children now. You still need the patience of God. <laughs> but it's not only that. At work, you need the patience of God. There's no blippy at work you can put on and keep people happy. No, no. You need the Holy Spirit within your life to strengthen you with all might and then to stay patient. Amen. And then finally he says, long-suffering with joy. That, that doesn't fit together, does it? Long-suffering and joy doesn't fit together, isn't it? Suffering and joy brings up something else in you. But here he prays, he says, Lord, First of all, I, I'm thankful that you have the, 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 the uh, faith in them. I thank you for the love. I thank you for the hope, Father, but now I'm praying for you. Father, I pray for these people that you will increase the knowledge of your will so that they can walk in it, wisdom. And then he says that they walk worthy, and I love this last part, to strengthen in all might for long-suffering. That's what the word long-suffering means. Don't ask me what the Greek means. That's what long-suffering means. <laughs> but not only long suffering, because some people by the end you end up with that long ago. Long suffering. No, no. This is different. He goes, long suffering. You know, he ends with a joy. Did you see the difference? And this is it, dear friends, that he prays for them. He says, Come on, Father, I pray for these people 
that they may have that. And then he gives thanks. Finally, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance, the saints in the light. Now, <clears throat> let me end with these words. Who has qualified us? Who has qualified us? The Father qualified us. And I praise God for that. Because, friend, if I would have left it over for you to qualify me to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light, I would have fallen short. Yes? If I would have qualified you, you would have fallen short. Why? Because I've got my expectancy of you, you see? My expectancy of you as a child of God should be, man, you pray every single morning at 4 o'clock. If you miss it once, you're not qualified then. And then what I want you to do, you pray at 4 o'clock, okay? You got that, everybody, 4 o'clock tomorrow for the whole week, for the whole year, for the whole of your life. You get up at that time. And then you have breakfast. At breakfast, you say thank you to God. You miss that prayer once, you're not qualified. Go to work. No, no, wait a minute, I missed something. You read five chapters every morning. You go, where am I going to get time for this? I don't care. And then you go on with your life. Okay? And at 12 o'clock, when you come to work, I want you to go into the toilets. They close the door. They think you're doing other stuff. You pray. You pray for an whole hour. You say you can't do it, you're disqualified. They say, that's my standard. And you will fall short. That's my rules. That's my law. We don't need that, friends. We are qualified by the Father. You know what is the Father's qualifications here? Grace and mercy. Now, you might say, how easy is that? And I say to you, that is too easy. That's the problem. It's too easy for a lot of people. They want to work for it. I will start a new sermon right now. Man, I'm on fire now to preach another sermon just out of that. But I'll stop now for your convenience sake because I know you've got a roast in the oven. <laughs> Let's just pray for that. Lord, don't burn the roast. Friends, let us, not, let, let us keep with giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Nobody else. Amen? Let's pray.